You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic. We meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we continue to trundle through here under somewhat difficult and sometimes depressing circumstances. But lo and behold, we've got some actual mixed martial arts news to discuss this week on the CME. Just as we been begin to record here, it breaks across uh, our t- timelines that UFC 249 is apparently still a go. And UFC President Dana White is now confirming that we have signed Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje for the main event of this thing. That fight will be for the interim lightweight title. However, Dana White notes here in his tweet, we still don't know exactly where this will happen. All he says, it will happen somewhere. And this is in all caps on earth. What's your take here as we open up this episode? That's reassuring for everybody who was worried about interplanetary travel being necessary for this one, or maybe some kind of like international space station type setting. Have no fear. We're going to do this one right on our home planet. So I guess that that narrows it down somewhat. Here's the thing I'm wondering about, though. My dude, Tony Ferguson, he got baited in again by that interim lightweight title offer. Oh, Tony. Tony, Tony, Tony. Fool me once, brother. You know, you know what I'm saying, Chad? You know, fill it in. You know the rest of the thing. No, yeah, we we already had a, an interim lightweight title situation with Tony Ferguson that uh, vanished off his very body with the snap of his fingers from the UFC. We've also had a situation where Tony Ferguson was supposed to fight Habib Nurmagomedov for an interim, interim lightweight title once before. That fight didn't end up coming off. So above and beyond all of the different... Uh, obvious uh, coronavirus-induced stipulations and and gray areas surrounding this fight. Now we have another one, Tony Ferguson, apparently going to fight Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight title. Ben, why would Tony Ferguson, above and beyond everything else, be interested in a situation where he becomes the two-time interim 155-pound champion? Or is this just a situation where the guy, frankly, doesn't have any leverage, we, nobody knows what's happening, and so he might as well jump onto this situation where it seems like if he wins, he could at least perhaps solidify himself as the next challenger for Habib Nurmagomedov. Maybe, maybe cut Conor McGregor off at the pass here. But he, he already was the next challenger for Habib Nurmagomedov. I hope my sincere hope is that Tony Ferguson got a lot more money out of the UFC to agree to stay in this event. Even after Khabib is basically incapable of getting there. And the UFC seems to just be hell-bent on making it happen no matter what the risks, no matter what the cost, they're doing this. I guess the the best-case scenario for me is that Tony Ferguson talked himself into a whole lot of money as a pay raise just to do this. And even then, even then, it seems like this is all the MMA gods needed to mess around and make sure we never see Khabib versus Tony. Because if Justin Gaethje goes out there and beats him, then what? Then we're there's no way we're even talking about Khabib versus Tony, you know, months or, or a year from now. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I still have so many questions about how this is going to work, and obviously Dana White being intentionally mysterious about it doesn't exactly put anybody's mind at ease. But I would like to know exactly the calculation that Tony Ferguson's made. I mean, if you're Justin Gaethje, sure, hey, jump in there, maybe uh, you, you land a good punch, and next thing you know. You're the number one contender. You got that interim lightweight title. You could change your life financially, all that kind of stuff. But if you're Tony, it seems like you only have stuff to lose here. Yeah. Now we got to be careful as to which Ariel Helwani Twitter account we use to break news here, because you've got the uh, the fake Ariel Helvani account that's out here. Uh, tweeting stuff this week about how Vladimir Putin and Dana White had reached an agreement to have Habib Nurmagomedov still in in this uh in this fight that tweet fooled a lot of people including the UFC president who replied to it That's but I'm looking at the I'm looking at the real Ariel Helwani I think uh Twitter account here 
He says Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight title on April 18th is signed per Dana White. Location still TBD. Uh, fight will headline UFC 249. As reported last night, they've zeroed in on a location on the west coast of the U.S. to hold this event and hope to finalize ASAP. Uh, Gaethje was in over a week ago, but Ferguson, as he told me last week, wanted to see if a location was to be found. They are close enough now, it seems. Moral of the story, never trust Ariel Helvani. Then Justin Gaethje goes ahead and tweets, hashtag, for the people. I'm terrified and I fucking love it, hashtag UFC. First of all, I want to start here, Ben. Uh, West Coast of the USA? Where could this possibly even be that we would be having this fight? Okay, it seems like California would be out, right? Just because it's one of the more responsible state athletic commissions and a state that has been dealing with uh, the coronavirus outbreak and doing, you know, from all reports, a pretty good job of dealing with it. But it would seem like the last thing you'd want to do is go ahead and green light a UFC event to take place in California, unless it's somewhere on tribal land at one of the tribal casinos. I mean, that that could be a situation where you manage to avoid the state athletic commission, the usual state government controls that might stop you. Because otherwise, what are we looking at Washington or Oregon? Because those don't seem likely either, especially Washington. I mean, they're dealing with a huge situation with coronavirus outbreaks in Seattle. Uh, Oregon. I mean, there's not even really a great venue. Like the UFC, Previously, when it's gone to Oregon, it's treated it like a, you know, okay, I guess we got to do this every once in a while, but we're not going to bring you a good card. I, I don't know. It's really hard for me to picture. I, I, I would not have guessed the West Coast was where, I, like, Florida sounded like a more plausible possibility because you hear Florida's about to do some crazy shit, and you're like, well, okay, yeah, that, that tracks, that checks out based on uh, what we're used to. Somewhere like California, Oregon, or Washington would it would surprise me. Uh, and again, again, unless it's on tribal casino land. Yeah. Uh, I would not have put the West coast of the United States in my top 20 as likely destinations for UFC 249. I wonder how literal we are being when we say West coast, because, you know, you could get inland a little bit, as you mentioned, there are some, some Indian casinos, uh, in the state of Washington, there are some in the state of California, as you mentioned. I, there are probably some in the state of Oregon. So the two things that I would ask just immediately upon hearing this news is, number one, are they just fucking with us? Are they just saying West Coast of America to throw us off the scent? But also, number two, Ben, didn't Chael Sonnen just do a submission underground essentially from like a, an undisclosed location or like a grain silo somewhere in rural Oregon, like a week or two ago that aired on the fightpass.com. Well, I, as someone who went to a recent submission underground event, I can tell you they were very clear at that event, uh, in the little like rule sheets that were available and in going over the rules of everybody that it was sanctioned by no state athletic commission, that there was no commission involved in that at all. So for whatever reason, just because, I mean, maybe you're just doing a jiu-jitsu tournament, you're just doing grappling, you don't have to go through the state athletic commission. So there was no sanctioning for that one. So you could kind of do whatever you want there, I guess, and have a little more leeway. But I don't think that the same would be said of an actual MMA fight in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Uh... But then I Chael did another submission underground that like happened in a weird location. Right. The one that but you I mean, went to was at the Roseland Theater in downtown Portland. Right, but if, I, like, like, I'm uh, saying if he didn't need an athletic commission for that one, then it seems like he doesn't have any athletic commission supervision for any of these. So grappling must have like a loophole in the state where you can get away with it even if you're paying people for it. But MMA, I don't think you'd be able to do that even if you were doing it in an abandoned grain silo. Right. And and now we've you know, the state athletic commissions might be the least of our worries is on these West Coast states where mass gatherings are canceled. Like I don't even think you could have a UFC without an audience in any of these places because you would already have too many people on hand to to just broadcast and, and work the fights. So uh West Coast of the United States is a quizzical thing to me, man. I don't know what that could possibly mean. Well it's also let's consider the very real possibility that you think you have a place now. But you're talking about an event that's a little less than two weeks away. And you're talking about a pandemic situation that has been changing kind of day to day in a lot of places. And especially the projections in most places are that we'll see the worst of it kind of this week and next week, depending on where you are. 
And so it is entirely likely that the UFC really thinks we've got a place nailed down. But then if you get around a fight week, the situation on the ground, wherever you think you're going to be, might be so different and so dire that they tell you, you know what, no, we're not doing this. Uh, just because we have already overtaxed our medical facilities and our health professionals and everything. The last thing we need is somebody strolling in here with a broken orbital because of a UFC fight when we're trying to deal with all this. So it still seems to me like we should should interpret this as the UFC's tentative plan as of right now. Yeah, I think you have to consider these plans, I would say tentative at best. Like, (laughs) I still can't figure out how we ever think this thing is going to go off. Although, Ben, it strikes me now that I think about it, no state athletic commission here in our home state of Montana. So maybe, just maybe, we'll finally get to see the, the octagon set up out in the middle of an empty field somewhere here in Montana Though we would we would be stretching it by quite a ways to say that's the west coast of the United States. Yeah, no, I will not go along with that. I will not call Montana right. the west coast. Here's a question that came in uh, via listener mail. We got some good mail this week. We're going to try to run through some of it here as the show goes on. I'm going to do this one from Rob Walden. He writes, so like, what's the plan after UFC 249? Everyone, including Dana, fans, and media, have spent so much time talking about the status of 249 that we all seem to have forgotten that the UFC has already publicly announced nine more events before the end of July, including a fight night card in Nebraska just a week after UFC 249, plus two more pay-per-views where at least three title fights are supposed to happen. So I'll ask you guys to speculate a bit whether UFC 249 happens or not. What does the future hold for these events, aside from the obvious that they won't be held in full arenas or in cities where they're originally scheduled? Does Dana keep maniacally trying to stage uh, some card, any card, until finally he pulls one off? Would losing UFC 249 make him more or less likely to keep trying to hold events in a global pandemic. Uh, would he just try to preserve the title fights and book whatever he can for the rest of the cards? Discuss. Yeah, I think it, it seems like the pay-per-views are obviously going to be the UFC's priority because that's where most of the money comes from. But like you, you had a couple fight night events just recently that the UFC didn't even really talk about trying to keep together. It was just focused on UFC 249. Now, after that, what we hear about is the UFC already focusing on UFC 250, which is supposed to be in Sao Paulo, but talking about moving that somewhere to the US. And there were at least reports I saw going around that they had told uh, Brazilian fighters that were supposed to be on that card, like Jose Aldo was supposed to fight, get his title shot against Henry Cejudo on that card. Uh, I think Shogun Hua was supposed to be on that card. That they Basically, they had told them, Oh, yeah, the Shogun Hua, the, the much-anticipated Shogun Hua uh, Roger Nog trilogy bout was supposed to be on that card. And the reports I saw said that they had basically been telling Brazilian fighters, hey, try to get to the U.S. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll try to – if you can get here, then we can keep you on this card and we'll have it somewhere else. So it seems like that's going to be the UFC's priority is keeping together those big events and not so much worrying about the, the fight night events. But, again, any plans you're making right now – they all could be completely disrupted by changes in wherever you think you're going to have them and what the situation is going on there. Because especially in the U.S., like you look at maps of how different states are reacting to this, both with just with like what the state laws are, what what their governors are saying you should be doing, what state what people are actually required to do in those states, and there's uh, a lot of variance. Like. Some states are really – they got aggressive about this early on and others really didn't. And so that you, you'd have to think that that is also going to be reflected in the reality on the ground and in hospitals, especially in weeks to come. Yeah. I wonder how much the UFC has even thought about it. It seems like they are pouring so much time and energy into trying to make UFC 249 come off. Understandably, I think, if you're going to forge ahead – uh, in the face of this pandemic against all reason, logic, and good sense, you probably want the fight card that, that at least up until recently was, was projected to be your biggest seller of the, of the first quarter of 2020. You probably want that one to be the priority. That's the one you want to have come off. Now that we're going ahead and we're doing it without Habib Nurmagomedov, because by all reports, Habib Nurmagomedov tried to follow the UFC's instructions and bugged out to the United Arab Emirates uh, in preparation for UFC 249 when they thought they were going to do it over there. Uh, then he went and got himself stuck in, in Dagestan. But uh, if we're going to soldier on in the face of that and make Tony Ferguson and, and Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight title the, the headliner of this thing, 
I wonder how much time you would even have to look ahead to to not just those fight night cards, but UFC 250 and beyond. It doesn't. I mean, honestly, it doesn't even really seem like they've got a complete cohesive plan for UFC 249. I can't imagine that the planning for anything goes much beyond Sunday morning of that of that fight week. Yeah, I would think so because right now, again, trying to plan anything for weeks and weeks from now. It seems incredibly difficult trying to just make a plan and have it still be the same two weeks from now seems really difficult so i would think that they would have to wait and kind of see how this goes and see what the reaction is to it because especially we've talked about this possibility before that the ufc likes to it seems like it likes the idea that hey we'll have the airwaves all to ourselves. we'll be the only one doing live sports everybody will be tuning in it'll be great but then the other possibility is that you're the only one doing it and everybody who didn't notice you before or didn't care about MMA or would never even heard of a USC event is going, wait a minute, you're doing what? And that there's a, a big outcry against it and people are wondering what the hell your problem is trying to run an event like in the height of the death toll uh, and for during a terrible da- pandemic. And I also think that uh, we sh- should maybe wait and see what these fights actually look like. We've talked about this before. Like you got a lot of people out there right now trying to figure out a way to train and get in fight shape when their gyms aren't open. Like some of them, they they might still have access to a gym, or they got you know maybe they own a gym, or they got a really good home gym or something, or they got like a, a sparring partner quarantined with them. But a lot of other people, that's going to be a difficult task. And to not only get in fight shape, like not just you know working out at home and getting in pretty decent shape in the garage, but fight shape and going to get your weight down during all this. We could roll in there. It's not hard to imagine and see like you know five or six people miss weight on the on the card just because they they couldn't get the work in that they needed to in order to get their weight down, or see a bunch of people show up and you can look at them and tell they're not in fight shape or have them put on shitty performances because they're not in fight shape. Like all that stuff could totally happen, and then I think the re- reaction from fans would be really different. Like even the people who are really excited and saying, "Hey, I need a distraction right now." If you roll up in there and you see a bunch of shitty fights from people who missed weight and clearly aren't ready to go and aren't in good enough shape to fight, everybody's going to be going, what are we doing? Why don't we just postpone this until we can actually do it right? Yeah, every time we start to talk about these events, it starts out sounding like a bad idea to me. And then when we start talking about the details, like what if people need to go to the hospital in some you know region of the world where the hospitals are already overrun? Uh, with coronavirus patients. We start talking about how people are going to train, how they're going to cut weight. It all just starts to sound like such an even worse idea to me when we start to consider the actual details that I have no idea how you, in the end, make any of these uh, fight cards come off and above and beyond all that. Just like you said, like I think that the UFC and especially Dana White, just judging by some of the stuff he has said to the you know, in his media appearances uh, up to this point, kind of fancy themselves the heroes here that like they're going to be the ones that get America back to sports and back to entertainment. And they're, you know, they're going to bravely put on these events. I don't know, even if these events come off, if too many people and especially too many people outside the bubble would look at these efforts and think that they were heroic. I think most people are going to look at these efforts and think that they're completely wrongheaded. And I think you saw that in a couple of places over the last week. I'm thinking specifically of a, uh, I think it was a USA Today editorial written by a person who's not an MMA writer, but was just scathing, just very scathing that the UFC would even go out there and consider putting on events with the public health situation being what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that, see, that's, I, I wrote about it in the mailbag today about like, if you consider the best and worst case scenarios for doing USC 249s, but like the best case scenario is maybe, hey, what if the fights turn out to be awesome? And we all have a great time. And then afterwards, we all agree, you know what, this was a needed and welcome distraction. And it was inspiring to see a bunch of people go out there and lay it all on the line. And the UFC does what it wants and gets America back to work again. And Donald Trump is thanking you and saying, hey, you're a brave visionary Dana White for going through with this. And everybody's really glad you did it. And uh, you, you make a whole lot of new fans, people who wouldn't have paid attention to the UFC or ever heard about it. And they go, okay, yeah, I'm tuning in. And Holy shit! This is awesome. I'm I'm a fan for life now. Like, I don't think that's terribly likely, but it's a possible best case scenario. But the worst case scenario is so much worse. It, the The risk of the worst case scenario is both like higher, more likely, but also just like so heavily outweighs the best case scenario. I think because I mean, imagine you go in there and you do get a bunch of shitty fights from people who clearly aren't ready and weren't able to get in good enough shape. 
you don't even get the first choice. I mean, Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson, sure, that's a that's a really good fight, but it's also we're like we're all going to be thinking about it's not the fight that we were really promised, the one that we've been waiting for for years. And then afterwards, what if it's two weeks later and you got five or six people off that card who are positive for coronavirus and you've spread them out into back into their different regions of the the nation or the world and they've spread it to their families or community and UFC 249 is regarded as an event that worsens a pandemic. Or, you know, what if one of them uh, gets like their parents sick or their, their mom's or their grandmother's sick and they die from it. And then it's like, okay, UFC 249 linked to like somebody's grandmother's death. Like that would be so bad, so much worse than just, you know, the, the chance that you pull off a good event and everybody's going, Hey, how about this UFC stuff? Yeah. Uh, along these same lines, also in the news today uh, and yesterday, this conference call, President Trump and some of the leaders of the major sports in America that also included Dana White from the UFC and Vince McMahon uh, from WWE. Uh, the president says on the call he's hopeful that sports will come back, that there will be a return to normalcy as soon as possible. We've seen some of the other sports, though, especially like it's seemingly right in the wake of this call, uh, come out and indicate that that they want to go back to normal, but they're just not anywhere close to that right now. You had uh, the NFL come out and say basically that everything is shut down uh, indefinitely with the NFL and that they're going to run a quote-unquote virtual draft this year where everyone involved in the draft will just be in their homes and, and the draft itself will only be uh, it'll probably be on television, but you know, conducted online, et cetera, et cetera. You also have the NBA saying that it wants to return to normalcy uh, and that it would help with the economy, but they want to do it only under the case where health officials declare it safe to do so. So you've got these kind of like differing approaches being done here, where uh, it seems like the NFL might even be the most cautious. The NBA, relatively the same story, and then you got. Uh, well, I guess WrestleMania, which we talked about a little bit on on Friday's Power Hour, but it's going down or went down this past weekend, pre-taped with a lot of kind of like cinematic special effects and stuff like that, but done in empty arenas. So definitely not your normal spread out over two nights and definitely not your your normal WrestleMania situation. And then, uh, you know, uh, the outlier of all these outliers, the UFC out here basically saying we we have not stopped and we will we want to get back to the business of doing events right now yeah and that we have in many ways a higher risk to our participants just because of the nature of the sport and the nature of like bringing a bunch of people in from all over and you know i can see like the comparison somewhat to wrestlemania but the thing with that is since it's not a actual physical competition like we if we both come in chad and we and I, you and i are going to have a pro wrestling match and neither one of us got the opportunity to train exactly like we want to or to get into exactly the kind of shape that we normally like to get into, we can kind of help each other out a little bit there. We can talk about it. We can be like, hey, let's not do too much running around. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's keep the pace manageable. But if we're coming in there and we're both just trying to hurt each other over a big pile of money, it takes on a different feel. And there's there's a whole different set of things that, that come along with that. So, like, plus the... I, I can't. I still can't not imagine a scenario where you you put on a UFC fight card and nobody has to go to the hospital afterwards, right? Like it's just. I'm sure that that's happened before, but it's probably not that common that nobody need nobody needs enough medical attention that is not the kind that can be administered backstage. Uh, is somebody probably going to need to go to the hospital get checked out after a fight? And I would just I would pay an extra pay per view price just to see the looks on the faces of the medical professionals when you roll up in there and be like, "Hey, what's up? I know you guys are busy with some of this other stuff, but this guy here has a broken jaw from a professional prize fight we had down the road here tonight. So, can you squeeze him in? Because that's just—it's it, kind of incredible to even picture that." Yeah, we did. We did this professional prize fighting event in an empty grain silo, yes. and now. Some of our guys need to uh, need medical attention. You know, it's fine if you want to have a pro wrestling match with me, Ben, but I'm going over. That's all there is to it. Listen, I feel like I'm a I'm a natural baby face. You yourself, uh, you got heel written all over you. Come on, let's just. I don't know. I don't know, man. Let's embrace it. Uh, and you know, like I said before, WWE was able to kind of make 
uh, lemonade, if you will, out of the lemons that they were dealt here with uh, WrestleMania, kind of do a special thing, a different thing than they normally do, uh, a lot different presentation from what I understand, uh, and, and a couple of matches where they, they went full on and made like mini movies out of them. Uh, the UFC can't really do that, has no plans to do that. The only thing the UFC can do is put on like a a, a diminished fight card. So uh, it just seems, again, inexplicable to me, hard to imagine. I still will be surprised. Even today as we record this, I still will be surprised if you see UFC 249 go off anywhere near as close to scheduled on April 18th, man. I just can't. I just can't envision it. Yeah. All right. Well, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to do Master Tweet Theater. It's been a long time since we caught up with him. So I know we're all excited to see how the pandemic has infected, affected. Jeez, I just said how the pandemic has infected. That's that's a bad one. Foreshadowing, perhaps? That's a, that's a bad slip there. The world's leading theatricalist is here. I know we all want to find out how the pandemic has affected him. That starts right now. It's that time again. After a lengthy absence and amid a goddamn pandemic, we welcome back to the show noted theatricalist, friend of the podcast, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am coughing consistently, but still out there. Huh, that's, I gotta say, that's a little worrying. Yes, yes. Well, as you know, the theater industry has totally collapsed. Audiences are not showing up. New productions are not being made. And now I understand there's some sort of pandemic that is likely to make it even worse. I see what you did there. So Mm -hmm. how long have you been feeling poorly? Maybe we should start there. Oh, gosh. I would say hmm, probably about 14 days since I took that CPR class. Okay. All right. Um, Have you seen any any doctors about this sought any medical attention oh no no sir nigel has no insurance of any kind i consider it a form of gambling okay well that's good to know um so i guess we're pretty excited to have you on for what could be the last master tweet theater uh it's been a while people have wondered about you they've been a little worried that uh, maybe everything is you know maybe you've been adversely affected by what's going on and i'm sure that they'll all be shocked to find out that that is probably the case but we really do appreciate you coming getting together with us for this master tweet theater is it too much to ask if you have come to us with a theme i mean i know there's a lot going on one could not possibly hope to come up with a theme to which one might only mildly stick or could they You know, sir, it's funny you should ask. I do have a theme. The theme is happily quarantined at home. Okay. All right. Well, I feel like there's probably lots of good material out there. Chad, how are you feeling about this? You think Sir Nigel can stick to this one? Over under one and a half tweets. Okay. All right. I'm going to take the over. (laughs) Okay. Wow. You are uh, in a a, uh, good mood, I guess. Yeah. Well, Sir Nigel, whenever you're ready. Go ahead. Yes, yes. A wise bet, Mr. Folks. As Wesley Snipes says in Passenger 57, always bet on Nigel. Mm. I think you saw a bootleg copy. I think that's what happened. (laughs) It was dubbed. Dubbed in Mandarin, actually. Mm. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Stranger Pop, the lollipop you share with a stranger. Are you tired of eating lollipop after lollipop at home alone? Stranger Pop is the sweet sucker that's made to be shared. The first time you lick a Stranger Pop, it records your DNA. Now it's time to find a stranger to share with. Because if the same person tries to lick a Stranger Pop twice in a row, it will administer a powerful electric shock. Don't try to share your Stranger Pop with family either. The DNA similarity will set it off. Instead, go to a crowded public place and use the Stranger Pop app to find other candy fans who want to lick your Stranger Pop while you lick theirs. Available in the United States starting April 6th, Stranger Pop is the candy that Wuhan, China voted best lollipop of December 2019. So, Nigel, I'm just going to say this sponsor seems poorly timed and frankly in poor taste. 
I have given them literally all my money, sir. That's the opposite of how a sponsorship is supposed to work. It's not how it's supposed Stranger to go. Con. I traded it for the uh, for shares. Mm. <laughs> uh, do you remember the theme, gentlemen? <laughs> the theme was happily quarantined at home. Indeed, sir. That sounds plausible to me. Let us begin. Tweet the first. This tweet is in response to a local politician's tweet thanking China for sending needed medical equipment. Ahem. Take back this thank you and offer of assistance this instant. It is barbaric what has been done here. All the way throughout this pandemic. Barbaric! Hashtag flatten their nose. Wait, okay, so just so I understand, this tweet is demanding that a local elected official not thank China for assistance. And that is then, correct. And instead it's kind of threatening. Indeed. Threatening, I assume, his local representative. And it's a man who tweeted this. Spoiler alert. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Colby Covington. I'm going to say Hoist Gracie. Oh, wow. No, Henzo Gracie. Henzo, Henzo Gracie. Really? Hmm. Both fine guesses, both apt to follow current events, and both wrong. It is Conor McGregor. Wait, hold on. Are you sure about this? Yes, Conor McGregor threatening a Dublin politician. I, I guess not threatening him, but getting mad, certainly. Well, wanting him to threaten, perhaps. Try, well, you know, I guess maybe I only hear the good news about Conor McGregor's response to coronavirus these days because everything I'd heard had been kind of positive about what he was encouraging people to do and how he was standing up trying to be a leader in the community. And now we're, uh, we don't even want to say thank you for needed medical supplies, huh? He's pivoting. He's pivoting to okay. blaming China. All right. A popular pivot these days. Indeed. Tweet the second. I seriously can't stand Conor McGregor. I can't stand the commercials for his crap whiskey. He's just not funny anymore with his antics. Shit's lame AF. Huh. Okay. Can't um, here is spelled C-N-T both times. You, uh, this, this is happily quarantined at home? Indeed, yes. I believe this tweet originated from solitude. See, we didn't make it one and a half tweets. You should have taken the under, folks. You should have taken the under. You make a fool of me, Sir Nigel. I've cost you money yet again, sir. Um, I'm going to say Justin Gaethje. Hmm. I mean, that is a, a a solid position answer, given his, his long track record about McGregor. Uh, Ally Aquinta. Hmm, both fine guesses. Neither a great fan of Conor McGregor, but both wrong. It is Tanya Evinger. Tanya Evinger. Tanya Evinger, favorite See, now, of the podcast. Now I'm feeling like this is probably, this tweet may have originated at the club following Tanya Avenger's Instagram the way I do. She, was she, she likes recently, to get out there and party. Was she there with Conor McGregor by any chance? I think they go to different clubs, to be honest. Mm, hmm. You know, each I just thought of a great idea for a movie, sir. No, you didn't. Tanya Avenger and nope. Conor McGregor trade bodies. Mm, no, but no. Keep the same girlfriends. <laughs> <sighs> Tweet the third. Yes, tweet the third. <clears throat> Pissed! Swear emoji, swear emoji, swear emoji, swear emoji, swear emoji, swear emoji, swear emoji. Scowl emoji, 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 four more times. Scowl emoji, scowl emoji, scowl emoji. Hashtag fuck. Hashtag fuck after all that? Indeed, it's trending. Wow. Uh, so when you're saying swear emoji, that would be like the little emoji with like like its its mouth is censored, basically? Yes. You know when Qbert swears in the uh, documentary video game Qbert? <laughs> Those symbols over the mouth. It's been a while for me with Qbert. Uh, <laughs> Tony Ferguson. I'm going to go... Mike Perry. 
Hmm, both fine guesses, both likely to be pissed with multiple exclamation points, but both wrong. It is Jessica I. Okay. You do love a yes. Jessica I tweet. I certainly do. And I think it may be in response to the Khabib Ferguson news. Again, Such nothing about it, it says happily quarantined at home. Not a single thing. No, it was somewhat of an ironic theme. But I bet she's at home right now. Jessica God, I. I hate I hate your themes so damn much. It's not the pandemic that keeps her home. There's just so many good shows. I hope my heavy sigh is coming through here on our our recording software. So I'm going to do it again. Oh, as a trained improviser, I know it's time for Tweet the Fourth, based on the host sighing. This tweet accompanies a photograph of an early 20th century streetscape. My old hometown of Clitheroe had great times growing up there. Those streets could tell many a story, believe you me. I'm sorry, what was the name of the town? (laughs) Him. Excuse me, a bug flew into my throat there. My old hometown of Clitheroe. It may be pronounced Clit Hero. (laughs) Chad, do you want to go first on this one? Uh, let's see here. What about Darren Till? Okay. Uh, is it, have we considered the possibility that somebody's having a bit of fun with us on this one? Well, I know who's not having fun. (laughs) The residents of Clitheroe? The CEO of Stranger Pop or whatever? Um, I'm going to say fucking Clitheroe. What the fuck? Uh, I'm going to say um, Matt Mitrion. Hmm, both fine guesses. Both inclined to be from someplace you've never heard of, but both wrong. It is Michael Bisping. See, I almost said Bisping because I know Sir Nigel loves to throw a Michael Bisping tweet into Master Tweet Theater. I just didn't think that that would be his hometown. Yeah. No. feel like I would have heard about it before. But all right, Sir Nigel, you want to do your bisping? Go I ahead. certainly do. Here we go. My old hometown of Clitheroe had great times growing up there. Those streets could tell many a story, believe you me. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, hey, whatever lifts your spirits during this time, you know, that's the important thing. Clitheroe. Are we, are we to the end yet? Very nearly. Tweet the fifth. Are you ready? Yeah. Good. It's a short one. Ready? <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. Everything is dumb. <laughs> okay. This one, again, nothing to do with quarantine happily at home, but I'm going to excuse that just because of its accuracy. Everything is dumb. Uh, and because it is so accurate and poignant and succinct, I must say that feels like a Julie Kedzie to me. Hmm. I'm going to go poet Philip Baroni here. It is! It oh. is poet Philip Baroni, the diagnostician Philip Baroni, the critic Philip Baroni. God, I mean, the poet's words really do echo through the ages. He, he cuts right to the core of the issue here. He does. He does. Incisive. From the Latin. Incise. <laughs> well, I guess that mercifully wraps up another Master Tweet Theater. Uh, what else you got going on, Sir Nigel? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished work on an exciting project about a scientist who shrinks himself to microscopic size so that he can play basketball against a team of cartoon aliens. I see. And what's it called? It's called Inner Space Jam. And what role do you play? I play the man in whose nose the game takes place. <laughs> well, you got just the nose for it as well. Well, that was Master Tree Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sirs.
All right, Ben. Well, in all of the time that we have invested in the co-main event podcast in our lives up to this point, here is a subject that I can easily say we were unprepared to discuss. I'm going to roll out this listener mail question here from David Lotteray, who writes, there is absolutely no new MMA news hap. Dana White named in Las Vegas sex tape extortion lawsuit. Woo! MMA still undefeated. I don't really have a question. Discourse? So, Ben, the breaking news here over the last week. UFC President Dana White uh, has been accused of breaking a deal not to be named in a $200,000 sex tape extortion case. This story actually uh, is from several years ago, maybe 2014 or so, where allegedly, according to these published reports, uh, Dana White was having a relationship with an exotic dancer that he met in Las Vegas. Uh, there was uh, a uh, a tape made, I believe, without his knowledge. The uh, the exotic dancer and her boyfriend or, or husband uh, tried to extort him over that over it, and they ended up being arrested by FBI agents in January 2015, charged with an, with attempting to extort Dana White for two hundred thousand uh, dollars. And the the guy spent some time in prison. Now he he apparently is bringing a lawsuit against Dana White uh, to to, to uh, let's see. Ernesto Joshua Ramos pleaded guilty to the extortion of the crime, served 366 days in prison. Ramos claims that White's lawyers gave the FBI false information to investigate him on the charges. He also claims that White broke a deal in April 2016, failing to pay him. $450,000 in exchange for not being named after the case closed. That's according to the Las Vegas Journal. I am reading it from uh, MMA News. So, so he's, first of all, this is just the last shit I needed this week, Chad. We're already, we're, we already, we don't have enough shit to talk about, enough shit to deal with. We're going to, MMA God's got to dump Dana White sex tape as a phrase on us. Come on. That's, that's too much, man. But, so am I to understand that what this guy is suing for was that he didn't get the hush money that he felt like he had a deal for? It seems that that was the case. That It seems from, from these news reports that that's the case, allegedly, according to him. And the initial, the initial thing that he went to jail for was a felony extortion charge. I'm reading this from MMAfighting.com, which prosecutors filed after he was caught accepting $200,000 for a video of White having sex with his girlfriend, an exotic dancer at the Spearmint Rhino. But now he's saying Robbins believed the agreement was worth up to $1 million during initial negotiations, but alleged he was offered $450,000 by White after the initial breach of the agreement in April 2006. So wait. He, he he was supposed to get more, or at least according to him, he was supposed to get more in hush money than for the original extortion attempt? That doesn't seem right. I mean, I, I just, I thought that the John Jones story was going to be the weirdest thing that we got out of this uh, strange dead period in Mace Martial Arts where there's, you know, we're, we're not really sure if the events are going to go on. Now we get this, which <laughs> kind of... Uh, comes uh, comes along to uh, trump everything i guess you could say here this uh this news is is unexpected and and i'm not even really sure what to say about it to be honest with you aside from the fact that uh that dana white in his own words continues to be surrounded by scumbags how that happens uh I want to read though this statement from dana white because this this is a statement to the las vegas review journal and let's just appreciate how the first sentence of his statement about this lawsuit is just, I'll just say, I don't have any doubt that Dana White was its author. Quote, I just found out that a bullshit lawsuit was filed against me yesterday. <laughs> this guy went to federal prison for trying to extort me over five years ago. Now he's hired a lawyer who is also a convicted felon, and he's trying to extort me again for $10 million. He got no money from me last time, and he won't be getting any money from me this time. I look forward to the court dismissing this quickly so I can get rid of these scumbags forever. Yep, that's that's Dana White's statement, all right. That was not written by the lawyers. That that was that is Dana White telling you what he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh it's pretty obvious there. 
Um, here we got a question here about uh, WrestleMania. It comes to us from from Carol Baskin. Okay. So good to hear from her. Everybody's been watching the Tiger King show. She writes, "Hey, all you cool cats and kids. It's, it's definitely her this weekend." Yeah, no, I know it's got her fingerprints all. It's like the yep. Dana White statement. There you go. Right. This weekend, the WWE aired a pre-recorded empty arena version of their annual WrestleMania show. Got me wondering whether the UFC could follow suit and pre-record fights whenever and wherever they get the chance. It's obviously not ideal, but if Dana's hell-bent on running events and pre-recording might lessen the load on the production crew and possibly even run with a smaller crew. So, uh, yeah, we talked about this a few minutes ago, but I felt like it was actually kind of cool what WWE tried to do with WrestleMania. I haven't watched it, so I don't know the you know, the ins and outs of how it worked or if it was successful or not. But, you know, at least they were able to take uh, this unfortunate situation that everybody is in and kind of try to put a different spin on WrestleMania, splitting it up over two nights, do- doing a lot of pre-recorded stuff, doing some stuff that that production values-wise kind of went above and beyond what you would get from a normal pro wrestling match. I don't know how much of that kind of stuff is possible from the UFC, but uh, it's an interesting but perhaps ultimately unworkable suggestion that the UFC should pre-record fights just in kind of like a, a catch-as-catch-can manner whenever it can get people around, uh, maybe in Las Vegas at the Apex Arena, and they record them and, and put them out later. I don't know, Ben. What do you I think? I think there's no way they'd be able to keep it quiet, what happened in those fights. Just, I don't believe it. I, I, I don't see how it would work. And I also... Yeah. It it doesn't really get around what I think are the big concerns here because like we talked about this before when the UFC was first pushing back on everybody saying you know you can't go ahead with this event and Dana White was asking if we wanted to bet against him and really doubling down on it ego wise is that you you could I suppose conceivably try to pull this off under the right circumstances but our concerns about it were basically how are you going to do it so that it's safe for everybody involved. And then how are you going to do it to make sure that it's then safe to send them all back to where they came from? And our questions on that were met with Dana White telling us it's none of our fucking business. And that does not set your mind at ease when you're worried. Because it's like, these are just basic questions that anybody's going to ask you if you're trying to do any sort of event during this time. And imagine like you know, another sports league, like the NBA or something, trying to be like, okay, we figured it away. We can continue to hold games. And then they're like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to test all the athletes before and afterwards? Are you going to quarantine them? So they're not going back and spreading it in their communities. And if the answer from the NBA was, Hey, it's none of your fucking business. We're keeping it a secret, what we're doing, that there's no way that would fly. And here the UFC seems to think that, okay, we don't want to tell people what we're doing because what, like they, then they might, point out that it's not enough or that they might poke holes in what our plan is to do. And instead the USC seems to be just like, we just got to get through. We got to get through to that Sunday morning to April 19th. If we can hold it all together until April 19th, then it's fine. And, and that's, that's just not the case, man. Like you're, you, whatever happens here, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of it. And the questions that we're asking beforehand about health and safety are like valid questions that you have to address. Yeah, I'm just spitballing here, Ben, but let's say we take 16 up-and-coming okay. pro fighters. We get them to live in a house together okay. somewhere in the Las Vegas area. Then maybe we pre-tape a bunch of fights, uh, I don't know, maybe in a warehouse somewhere. And uh, maybe the whole thing is a big tournament. Whoever wins gets like a glass plaque, a scion, and like a fancy watch. What do you think? Uh, question. In their downtime, do you think anybody could play any hilarious pranks? I think it leaves a lot of time left for hilarious pranks, my friend. I think over the years, those pranks would probably become more and more scatological in nature. (laughs) The the Ultimate Fighter is a good example because I don't know about you, but many times over the years as an MMA reporter, I've found out without doing any attempt to find out. I have been told who wins fights. Like who who's going to end up in these finals? Like the the ultimate fighter is not a well kept secret. It's just that nobody publishes that stuff because a the UFC will go all scorched earth on you if you do, and also b there's just no real upside to publishing it. It's not like people don't really want it. You're spoiling it for people. They don't really want to know. They don't want you to spoil the whole show for them. And nobody's gonna. It's not like vital news coverage that it feels like you got to do. 
And I don't know, you can't ever keep that secret. I don't know how you would keep a, a pre-taped UFC event like with actual titles and stuff on the line. I don't know how you'd keep that secret. Yeah. If, you, if you're going to run uh, Tony Ferguson against Justin Gaethje or something of that nature, I have a feeling your results would probably yeah. leak. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got this question here from Cameron Spence, who writes, at the time of writing, it's exactly three weeks since UFC Fight Night 170 on ESPN Plus 28. Uh, doesn't that roll off the tongue? <laughs> Seems a lot longer than three weeks, which brings up my question. How long can the sport survive anywhere close to its current structure and frequency with no events happening? It's not unreasonable to think a return to safe and attended uh, sporting events might not occur till October, November at the earliest. Additionally, what changes do you see occurring if there is indeed no fights for seven plus months? Man, that's it's hard to picture, isn't it? Like it's, I know that a lot of, in a lot of ways, like what our reality is going to be like is hard to just conceive right now. But thinking about it that way, it is. It's really hard to imagine what what kind of world we emerge back into in just so many different ways. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know if my fear is really even for the sport, you know, or, or the companies involved. I have a feeling that, uh, the UFC and or Bellator are probably somewhat, uh, uniquely situated to come out of this thing. Okay. Like I don't necessarily think either of those would go out of business or anything like that, especially the UFC with, with the backing of Endeavor, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the thing that I would worry most about would be like kind of all the ancillary companies, all of the, you know, the media companies that uh, cover the sport, one of which you and I obviously work for uh, the uh, uh, companies that are kind of built up around the mixed martial arts industry. Like, you know, even people that are like referees or, or judges or, or uh, you know, fight cut men or anything like that. Like the, the longer that there are no sports, the harder it is to imagine those organizations or those people kind of like sticking around, like, you know, some of them would probably come back, but like in the case of companies, uh, like you can only go without, without sports for so long before you would just eventually run out of money. So like, to me, the biggest question would be, you know, what happens to all the stuff that, that kind of supports the industry, not necessarily what happens to the UFC. I think that, you know, as soon as you were able to put on fights again, the audience would probably come back. The UFC would probably be okay. I'm not necessarily sure that's this, that's true for like all of the outlying organizations. Yeah. Well, and you think about a lot of fighters out there who their jobs were, I'm a UFC fighter and I work at the gym, that kind of stuff. And a couple months of not having either one of those that could be pretty tough for a lot of people. And uh, I don't know. I, I worry about what will happen with those people because it's not like you're a major league baseball player or something where you're going, okay, yeah, hey, I can afford to take a few months off because I was making a minimum of a quarter million dollars or whatever it is. Uh, that's not the case. You, you probably don't have a huge nest egg laid by that you can depend on in those times. And so I don't know where you're going to end up coming around to be to some UFC bantamweight and being like, all right, we're ready to book you a fight again. And him being like, Oh, fighting. No, I had to give that up, man. I had to give that up and get a job. I just, I, I couldn't sit around waiting for you guys anymore. Yeah. Especially since, uh, you know, being a fighter, despite the fact that, that a lot of people have those other jobs, like it's kind of a 24 seven commitment just because of the lifestyle that you have to lead, the diet you have to maintain, uh, the kind of like rest that you have to get the uh basically the 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 focus that you need to bring to it is so singular that you kind of all it's a lifestyle really you kind of always have to be doing it in order to uh be in the kind of shape necessary to go out there and perform now obviously a lot of different people take a lot of different approaches to that not everybody handles it the same way but like it's really hard to imagine doing that for like 7 to 9 months or whatever with no prospect of a fight you know what i mean and, and no money coming in it seems like eventually you would have to take some manner of of uh you know emergency maneuvers to to just get your life back on track i could see a lot of people not not really being able to dedicate themselves to mma f if the if there's a break that goes yeah. on that long. Uh, I had talked about this once before years ago now, but I, I we talked about it on the co-main event podcast, but it's just like uh, in the interest of like what fighters are going to do, how they're going to make their money, how the UFC handles all this stuff. Like 
uh, I was reminded that the UFC, just in, in terms of like performance-based fight night bonuses that it gives out, it usually spends like $200,000 per event. Gives out four of those bonuses generally worth $50,000 each, uh, which if you do 42 events a year, like we're budgeted to do for 2020 on ESPN, it's a budget of approximately like $8.4 million just for those fight night bonuses. And if you took that money, just the money that you have, I assume, already set aside for fight night bonuses, you could pay 500 fighters somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,800 a month for six months or $1,400 a month for 12 months. So if we were at all interested in kind of like prolonging those people's livelihood, uh, it seems like a company like the UFC could do it through a relatively small sacrifice. Or, Chad... It could just keep that money. Fly in some snow. Yeah. Yep. 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 Could keep that money. Could just keep doing yep. the events. Yeah. Well, as long as that grain silo is, well, is, see, is up is the and other running. Thing. We didn't quite talk about this in relation to UFC 249, but I think it's especially if the UFC's plan is going to be to continue to hold pay-per-view events on a somewhat regular schedule. You're looking at a huge economic event as well as this the pandemic portion of it like the last numbers i saw was that in the last two weeks of march 10 million people in the u.s filed for unemployment benefits it's already having a huge ripple effect out through the economy not just the kind of people where you're like okay i was a bartender and now the bar is closed and so i can't work but the way that will ripple throughout the rest of the economy and i don't think we've even seen really the beginning of how that's going to go And then imagine you're over there as the UFC being like, all right, who's up for one of these pay-per-views? 65 bucks. We got that shit on ESPN, man. Like get in here and buy it. Like, I don't know how well you're going to do with those things. Like, even if if you're like, Hey, we can't do live events or like live crowds for a while. So we're foregoing the ticket sales, but don't worry, we'll make it up on pay-per-view. I mean, will you, will you though? Because we've talked before about how as aggressive as the UFC is at like going after people posted memes or clips on their Twitter or something. It has not really effectively been able to stamp out the, the, private, the piracy problem that it has with a lot of its pay-per-view events. Now you've got a lot of people who are dealing with economic uncertainty who may have more of a reason and not less to try to watch your events through some not quite legal means. And how is that going to impact the bottom line? Yeah, yeah. I get that's a great point if you're out here um, making your living off other people's expendable income. Yeah. And nobody has income, let alone expendable income. You see that. I got to think the pay-per-view market is one of the first yeah. things to drive yeah, up. That, if you're looking at expenses where you can maybe trim the fat a little bit and, and, and tighten the old belt, $65 monthly UFC pay-per-views is probably right near the top of the list. Yeah. All right. Well, obviously, we're going to continue to monitor all of these situations as fluid as they are. We will continue to talk about them moving forward. Don't forget, for all the patrons out there, the Coming Event Podcast on Wednesday, we got the live chat over on the Patreon page. If you are not currently a patron, go over there, get get signed up for that. Come join the party. We have a lot of fun every week over on the over on the Patreon page. Three different tiers of of memberships that you can join to sign up, support the show, keep the discourse unfettered, and we keep bringing you that sweet sweet Patreon content, including Wednesday's live chat, including. Uh, movie club episode about the film Jojo Rabbit. We'll be recording that also on Wednesday. And then, of course, every Friday, a whole additional hour of the co-main event podcast, the Patreon Power Hour. Keep that coming weekly. Been having a lot of fun over there uh, doing that. So so check us out over there. Um, ben, you have anything else you wanted to add before we get out of here? One for this thing week? I will add, uh, a weird ripple effect of the whole isolation thing. Yesterday, it's Sunday. Right, that ain't shit going on Sunday, just like any other day these days. So I decided to clean out the garage, something that, uh, well, let's say has been on the to-do list, the old mental to-do list for a long time without ever getting done. But I finally do it, and as I'm doing it, I put the my uh, this old balance bike, you know, it's like kids balance bikes things that we got one for my daughter, my oldest daughter. She never really got into it. Hidden a bunch, bunch of beneath a bunch of junk in the garage. I put all this stuff out on the lawn as I'm cleaning stuff up i look over at one point and she's riding it down the driveway then she tells me 
She's ready to take the training wheels off her bike. Next thing you know, by the end of the day, she's riding a bike. So I guess, Chad, I'm just saying, you don't know where some of this stuff is going to lead during this quarantine. One thing leads to another. Well, see, there's you know, unexpected stuff happening. Let's see. That's an uplifting story. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's other there's going to be some other not so uplifting stories. But yes, let's focus on this one for now. There you go. You finally brought us an uplifting story. I appreciate that. Uh, Join us next week or check us out over on the Patreon. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.